morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, April the 11th. I'm so happy to see you all here. It's every week it feels a little fuller in this church, and that feels great. A couple of announcements. Uh, just a reminder that we have the flower calendar in the back. So if you uh, would like to have flowers up in the front in memory or honor of someone, please sign up back there. We will be going back to having our Bible study this week. My, apologi- my apologies for the two-week hiatus, but we are back to having it this week, and we'll be jumping into Ruth chapter 2. If you haven't joined us before with it, we'd love you all the same to jump in. Uh, Ruth is an easy book. You can catch up with chapter 1, no problem at all. A uh, message from Inspiration Hills. They are seeking lifeguards, summer counselors, and assistant counselors. So if you have any uh, youth in young adult age children, or young adult age folks in your lives who would might be interested in spending the summer working with children and experiencing God in the outdoors, talk to them about the possibility of working at camp. I can say as an eight-year veteran of my home camp, it's worth it. Commission meetings along with the Executive Committee meet this Wednesday in the basement, 7 o'clock for, exec- for, for the commissions and 7.40 for Executive Committee. I, I am corrected by our board chair. It is actually general um, council, right? General board. general board. I am still getting all the councils, commissions, boards. <laughs> General board will be meeting at 740, and that is everyone who sits on a commission uh, gathered together in preparing for spring council. council. I'll get all these down eventually. Uh, Yes, that is on here for April the 28th at 7 p.m. here in the church will be spring council, and that, of course, is open to all members of the church as we go over all the business of the church. Are there any other announcements as we move into our time of joys and concerns that we wish to share with our community and to pray together as a body? I would like to again raise the joy of having so many of our friends back here that we get to worship with them in person. What do you wish to raise to God and the community today? Bernita, I'm so happy to hear that he continues to recover. Our sister Bernita's brother, Brian, um, is moving to a new facility where he can receive better care and therapy, Uh, but he continues to recover, and we're so happy to hear that. Prayers for our sister Becky's uh, sister, Robin, who is beginning chemo for breast cancer tomorrow. Our sister, uh, Norma Bertoft, passed away this last week. And a thank you from from Dale and the family for all the prayers and cards and calls that have come through as, as they miss their mom, their grandma, their sister. And thank 
Thank God that we've had so much time with her. I will add the announcement that they are celebrating her life this week here at the, at the church. However, it is, uh, the service is going to be for the family only. So we encourage you on Wednesday to take a moment around 11 o'clock to have a prayer for them as they, as they gather to remember and celebrate. So thanks from the, the Snyder family for all the prayers for their, for their sons, Scott and John, and asking for continued prayers for Scott as he, as he struggles to find the medical help that he needs. Uh, he is back home, but needing to find another doctor to help him specifically with his needs. And uh, prayers for their granddaughter, Alyssa, who was in a traffic accident here in town, um, but is back home, is bumped and bruised, but okay. And thanks to God that she is okay, but prayers as she heals. And I hope that it doesn't cause too much stress when she's ready to drive again. So prayers for you, Tony, that we pray the seizures go away and that it, you know, that you're doing okay. And I have to say, I am so happy to see you here today. And we were so blessed to have your, your son and your daughter-in-law join us for Sunday school today. I'm guessing they went back to their uh, regular worship. I won't take that hard. I'm so glad to have met them. Ron. Thank you, Ron. Yes, we are back in production. <laughs> it is good to have so many folks here, and it's good to have community. Gail. So continued prayers for Gail's, Gail's friend, Eric, who we have prayed for before. He had the tongue cancer this last, last year, which has come back in his jaw. They have moved up to Cleveland to be closer to the therapy that he's going to be undergoing, which we're not sure if it's chemo or radiation, but he'll be doing it on a daily basis, which is either one is daunting enough. Uh, so continued prayers for strength for him, for strength of body and strength of heart, as it is, it is a struggle on multiple levels. And prayers for his wife as well as she supports him in this. Will you join me? Oh, I'm sorry, Bev. Thank you, Bev. Yes, I, Bev has been praying for a revival in our church. And she feels that prayers are being answered, that God is hearing her, hearing all of us. And I fully agree, Bev. If you'll join me in the call to worship. As we move into this season, it's called Easter Tide. It runs from Easter to Pentecost. I wanted to examine the ways the church became the church as it readied itself for Pentecost, as it readied itself for the world. And each Sunday, I also paired it with a psalm. So if you'll join me in the call to worship, this is based off of Psalm 133, which is honestly one of my favorite songs. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Many parts. 
It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. We are blessed evermore.
Please pray with me. You told us when two or three gather in your name that you would be there. We're here. At least 53 of us gathered in your name. We know you are present. God, listen to our hearts, to those things that we carry with us, to those things that keep us separate from you, those things that we lift up to you, asking to be nourished, to be comforted, to have our life and our souls lightened. We lift up today the Bertoft family, mourning our sister who has gone to be with you, being joyous knowing that she is with you and her family, but missing her in our lives. We lift up Scott and John and Alyssa. We ask for healing and comfort. We lift up Eric and Janelle. We ask for clarity, for strength. We lift up Robin, for family, for comfort and presence. We thank you, God, that you are with us, that you are with them. We thank you for new lives, for children, for friends, for healing bodies. We thank you for Brian and his healing body. We thank you for Tony and his presence. We pray for healing and we pray for joy that he is with us. Holy One, Holy Three, walk with us this day. Hold us close. Lighten our hearts. Amen. We have our sister Bev playing her can't remember, it's a dulcimer, right? Playing her dulcimer for us today. This morning I'm going to play um, How Great Thou Art, and then Near to God, Near to God. Okay.
Thank you, Bev. That was beautiful. The scripture today comes from Acts. Chapter 4, 32 through 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Blessed is the word from God. I remember the first time that I realized that the ecosystem that I lived in most of my life was somewhat out of balance. I guess the thought never occurred to me because I spent a lot of time in the woods. I mean, I lived in the woods. I mean, going into the forest meant walking out the door. It was November of 2002. I can pinpoint it because I know it was my junior year because that's when I grew my beard was on that trip. Apologies to all the people who I saw on that trip. I was a bushy mess. If you ask Claire Jean, I'm still a bushy mess. <laughs> Apparently, that joke was funnier than I thought. <laughs> Are you okay, sister? <laughs> Donna, make sure she keeps breathing. Anyway. Anyway, and I know it was November because it was an OMA conference. That's the Outdoor Ministry Association. That's the Church of the Brethren camp group. And we always had our conferences in November because November's a slow month for camp. You don't do annual conference. You're busy, so you get together other times. So it was November of 2002, and we were going out west all the way pretty much as far as you could go. We flew into Seattle, and we went to Camp Koinonia, which is up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. Okay, there was a town close by that got my parents excited. It was called uh, Roslyn, Washington, which apparently there's some show called Northern Exposure. I don't know. My parents were excited about it. I never watched it, so generation gap, I guess. That was next door, Roslyn, at the opening scene with the moose walking down the main street. That's Roslyn. So that kind of gives you an idea of how far out we were, because there really were moose wandering around in the mountains with us. But that wasn't what threw me off. What threw me off was what the camp director told my brothers and I. They said, you know, we know you boys aren't going to be doing the meetings. Feel free to, you know, use the camp as you wish. You know, ball courts over there, hiking trails over there. To be honest, we spent a lot of time doing our homework in the cabin we were staying in anyway. So, but if you guys go hiking, if you go out and about, 
very far off the main part of the property, make sure there's at least two of you. Don't go by yourself because we have mountain lions and really big bears. Now, I'm used to bears, except in central Pennsylvania, you have black bears. And other than the one time I chased down a mama bear with her cubs, for the most part, the bears run away. The one time with the mama bear, the cubs went up the tree. She growled at me, and I said, OK, OK, just stay out of the dumpster. I have to clean up after you. It never occurred to me that in our woods, there was no predator that could take me out. I mean, yeah, a bear could if it really wanted, but that was just never the case. The most dangerous thing we encountered were the, rattle, the rattlesnakes. And they weren't after you, they just didn't want to be stepped on. <laughs> so as long as you're paying attention, you were okay. But out here, we weren't. Out here, we were number two. And it got me to think about how that has changed where I lived. Now, of course, at one time, we did have mountain lions in our woods. We didn't have grizzlies, but we had mountain lions. And the, the other predator, the other apex predator, of course, was the wolf. So I started to think, what does it mean that we don't have mountain lions and wolves anymore? There's actually some good evidence of exactly what happens when you remove mountain lions and wolves and then they're reintroduced, at least with wolves. Yellowstone National Park started releasing wolves back onto their land in the 90s. And what ended up happening is the entire ecosystem got healthier because the wolves forced the elk to live differently. For the first time, the elk couldn't just hang out around the rivers and eat all the vegetation that was growing there. Instead, they were forced to go hide in the woods more. And the rivers started to get healthier. The trees grew up around them. It slowed down the water, forced it to meander more. The water became cleaner, more fish, more mink. Beavers moved back in. The bears got healthier, too, because the wolves, they would steal the wolves' kills in the middle of the winter. The elk got healthier because there was less competition for food. The small animals also got healthier because wolves don't like coyotes, and they often will just kill them, which meant that the small mammals were starting to recover, and we had more fox and raccoons and badgers. I know there's a problem in the northeastern woods. We have warmer seasons as the planet warms a bit. That means we have more ticks and more Lyme disease. And without wolves, there's more deer, which carry the ticks all over. There's also coyote moving in. Coyote don't traditionally live much in the Northeast because there's lots of wolves, and they don't like wolves, and wolves don't like them. But coyote love possum. And possums are a tick's main predator. They love to eat ticks. And without as many around, there's more ticks. You just remove one or two species, and the ecosystem starts to break down, starts to work not as well, and even becomes more dangerous for us. 
I mean, okay, the trade-off is you have wolves, which are dangerous to us, or ticks who are dangerous to us. Your choice. <laughs> it's not exactly the greatest set of choices, but anyway. It's the same thing in our communities. It isn't that when someone isn't a part of our community, whether they, they choose to leave or whether it is time for them to join God, either way, the community is harmed. The community is damaged. You know, I, I remember fairly recently on a, a Church of the Brethren seminar, someone was talking about there's different levels of accepting people within the congregation. And the highest level, which is the one that every congregation should always strive for, is that when someone comes and becomes a part of the community, when they're not there, you are no longer that community. You've lost something for their missing presence. It's the same in the ecosystem. It makes me surprised, looking back at the story of the church, that the church survived. How many new churches, how many new religions fail when the first leader passes? I mean, we even have that history here in our own Church of the Brethren. We had our, our offshoot, Conrad Weissel and the, the Ephrata Cloister. It didn't survive long without Conrad there. When he died, the community went into decline. Jesus died. Jesus came back, but then Jesus ascended. And so all that were left were these 11 disciples with those surrounding them who believed in Jesus, waiting, not sure what to do next. The community hung by a string. Thankfully, they were empowered. We are coming to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down and fills them, empowers them, that builds the church. It's the birthday of the church is Pentecost. And so Pentecost comes, they're back up to 12. They had added Bartholomew to replace Judas. They also had James, the brother of Jesus, who seems to have played a huge role in that early church. And though they're not mentioned, I would bet my bottom dollar that Mary Magdalene had had a pretty loud voice in that group too. But then comes the next stage. Communities change. People come and go. And for the early church, there was a lot coming. And for anyone who has ever worked in an organization of any size, you realize that as soon as that organization gets bigger, things get more complex. I know even in a small family unit, every child that comes on, things get more complex. And if you've had more than two kids, my understanding is when number three comes, things get really complex. You can no longer play, you know, player to player defense. So problems started to arise because these few leaders just couldn't handle everything that was going on. Suddenly they had thousands of people looking to them for direction, for instruction. So they needed more help. 
and they brought on seven people to fill a very specific need. The problem was there were those that the church was supposed to care for, widows and orphans. Now, if you were a widow or an orphan back in the ancient Near East, your outlook wasn't that great. You're probably going to be living on the streets in poverty, resorting to crime or prostitution in order to get by. So the church had taken on itself to make sure those people were cared for, but they weren't doing a good job. And so they raised these seven individuals, these seven men, to be the first, what we would eventually call deacons, whose sole job was to care for the community, to make sure that food and resources were spread out. Oddly enough, the two people who we always remember from this group, we remember because they didn't do that job. <laughs> There's Stephen, who goes out and preaches so well he gets stoned for it. That seems like an awfully weird bar for preachers to be aiming for. And uh, uh, Philip, who is best known for going to preach the Samaritans and the Ethiopian, the first semi-Jewish, but not really Jewish people on the outskirts, bringing them into the community. It takes those people. It takes those people who pull everyone together to make things work. You know, it's even true in the woods. For example, I am not an eater of mushrooms, just a general rule, I don't eat mushrooms if I can help it. Only one in the family who doesn't like it. But I do think mushrooms are super cool. I think fungi are super cool. And one of them is this, uh, this thing that they do. It's called, I know I practice this all the time and I still can't say it, uh fungi. You see, mushrooms, just like plants, have root systems, and those root systems grow down into the soil, and they connect in with other, other roots, with the plant roots. Sometimes it's parasitic. They just take from the tree. But they also do something amazing, especially certain trees like beech and birch and oak, where all of a sudden, when the beech or the birch or the oak or some other tree say, hey, you know, I, I need more iron in my diet. The mushroom might say, you know what? My roots over here are touching some iron. Or you know what? My roots are touching another mushroom or another tree, and they have a source of iron. Let me send it over to you. And the trees and the mushrooms will actually help one another out. They'll send resources to each other. The same even works for like rose plants. Or oddly enough, wheat. Wheat works very well with certain fungi to make sure that they both grow healthy and together. You can't have the forest we have today without mushrooms and without this amazing, intricate system of communication where they can share resources. They can even warn, hey, there's this new disease or this new pest. You should start trying to fight it. 
they'll pass that message along to the other plants. That kind of system had to grow inside the church as well. As the church spread, new problems arose. For instance, in Corinth, there were people who denied that the resurrection was important. The same thing happened in Ephesus. And it took people like Paul and Apollos and Peter and Origen and any number of people from that time. I mean, there's a lot of letters out there. Not just the ones that we put in our Bible, but hundreds beyond that. Because they were problems and these people were reaching out. They were connecting. They were sending resources. They were sending information. Watch out. Watch out. Some people are saying this and it damages the church. It damages the community. It rips them apart. Ecosystems are amazing and balanced. Churches, the church, capital C church, can be an amazing thing when it's healthy and balanced. Of course, we all know the history. It doesn't always work out that way. I mean, we have 2,000 years of history of church. And for some reason, in the last 500 years, we've had a lot of churches spring out of it because there have been problems. For instance, about 300 years ago, there was a small Bible study hanging out in Schwarzenau who were praying together and started a new church. That's us, of course. I mean, if you didn't recognize Schwarzenau, I need to say that word more often. They have the same problems. The church grew. It grew in leaps and bounds. It spread across Germany and then eventually came here to the U.S. where it spread across Pennsylvania and New Jersey, then Maryland, Virginia, Ohio, and all the way to Camp Koinonia on the West Coast, and then across oceans to Nigeria and Brazil and India and China and well beyond. But it works. It works because there are always people growing into the positions that keep the church healthy. It works because we are connected by literal roots of bloodlines, but roots of community as well. Some of us are mushrooms. Some of us are trees. Some of us are wheat. Some of us are roses. I know I'm not in that category. Probably in the mushroom category. Ugh. Anyway. Reaching out. Connecting. Sharing information, sharing resources. We only have to look at our history to see that. We only have to look around this building to see that. Of course, it goes farther than that. As a church in this modern world, we are challenged again and again by Christ. By the words that came to him from a lawyer, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, your enemy. 
those that you most despise, along with those who you most love. There was a rabbi named Rothschild. I wish I could remember his first name, but I didn't write it down on my notes. Rothschild lived in Atlanta, at the Atlanta's only and first Catholic, I mean, Catholic, uh, yeah, yeah, Jewish synagogue. Catholic synagogue, that would be something weird. They were living in a strained and strange time. The Jewish community have long been a part of Atlanta's history. I mean, from the very beginning, there were at least two Jewish families. Families that were, well, community bedrock, who owned dry goods stores that supported the community, the larger community. But it wasn't always easy for them. By the time they hit the 30s or so, they had start, started to pull back. Uh, a member of the Jewish community had been accused of murder. He was completely innocent, and the trial had found such so. But to those around them, to their Christian neighbors... That wasn't right, and so they lynched him. Rothschild came about 20, 30 years later and became the rabbi of their only synagogue. He knew the story, but he also looked out around him and he saw all the pain and suffering of his black brothers and sisters. And so instead of being like his predecessors, trying to just keep their small community safe by not reaching out and taking a stand against segregation, he decided to add his name to the list. Beyond that, he decided to become an organizer, to work with his brothers and sisters and the clergy, both black and white. The synagogue was bombed. They found unexploded ordinance at his home. People didn't like him for it. But we remember today people like him who were willing to step out of their somewhat comfortable positions to take on uncomfortable and even dangerous work. You see, the thing with repairing an ecosystem is it takes a lot of work, and sometimes it's dangerous. I'm not saying we should be reintroducing wolves necessarily to our woods, though I would probably support the idea, but I would also understand why many of our farmers wouldn't be fans of that idea. But it's dangerous work to fix an ecosystem. It's dangerous work to fix a community sometimes. What are we called to? What are you called to? This community that meets here, this community that is part of a denomination, but also part of the church. Capital C, Peter, Paul, Mary, church. 
Perhaps there's some scary work. Perhaps there's some scary stand. Perhaps it's just work. The community is here, but the community is also out there. The community runs down both sides of Albrecht, down Lessig, on into Akron, into Canton, Columbus, all the way to Seattle and beyond. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of joy. We're called to repair it, to make it grow, to fight off disease in all its forms. So, welcome to the community. Though many of you have been here a long time, are you ready to heal it? Brothers and sisters, he is risen, risen indeed. He has come, he has taught. He has come and he has died for our sins and conquered such and has risen to lead us on. Now he has ascended. So it's up to us. The community he called into being, the community he called into life, he is risen, risen indeed. Let us celebrate and let us work. Amen.